HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. That was just Acid Dad, who will be live in studio later today. First up, though, we have Casey Lane of The Tasting Kitchen from Venice and Casa Apici uh, in Greenwich Village. Casey is the, or was nominated for Best Dog from GQ, Food & Wine, LA Magazine, and a James Beard semi-finalist. Welcome to the show. How are you? Happy uh, to be here. Uh, I have a confession to make. Darren and I came out to Venice four years ago into the L.A. greater area for a kind of general survey of food for a project that we got hired to consult on. And the best meal that we had was at your restaurant. And it was the first time I ever had lasagnette. And I made sure that the uh, server was not fooling me, that it wasn't like a fake kind of made-up noodle because I'd never heard of it before. Right. And right. that dish has stayed with us for four years. So it's a really, really big honor to meet you. Great. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear it. Like, that's bolognese. It's kind of one of our, you know, one of our crowd pleaser favorites that we enjoy making. Yeah, I just remember tasting it, and I was like, is this real? Is this like a, th- is this a thing that we didn't, didn't know about? And it they're like, the- you guys are uneducated. It's like, there's more than Merlot? I hope to God no one said that. <laughs> no, no, no. No one, no one said that. They were, they were all very plain. They, they sort of barely said it a little bit. They just gave a look. Mm. That's all you needed. Mm. 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 Let me educate you. Mm. Mm. Uh, so growing up, your uh, mother and grandfather uh, cooked from the Marseille region. How did that begin to kind of influence the type of food you created and your food memories that you started to pull from? Oh, man. Um, you know, food memories and that association really goes into, like, family. It goes into dinner. It goes into the reason that I enjoy hospitality as kind of a whole. And it, it was something that kind of drawed me into the kitchen because we were a little bit of a larger family with all my aunts and uncles. They were never around. They would always, you know, be out everywhere. My grandfather was like, I want to have dinner once in a while, so I'm going to cook, and you guys all better show up if I cook. So I was kind of drawn to hanging out with him in the kitchen, seeing that, and then realizing that, okay, like, I'm from Texas. You know, I grew up in Texas. Um, grandfather's French, grandmother's French. So they they loved food. They loved cooking. I didn't really realize how much that was going to influence, like, my palate and the way that I the way that I'd like to put flavors forward until until much, much later. Love Italian food, love the craft, love everything. Always kind of find a bit more richness, a little bit, you know, more kind of rounding off that I want to do with flavors, though, and I think that's probably due to them. Is there one or two dishes from your childhood kitchen that finds its way onto your menus or references that influence your dishes? Really more like cooking process. Mm-hmm. Like, Cocovan would be one that, like, I just, I love making. Like, I enjoy all braising, it was a big part of what my grandfather enjoyed doing and then later working with, you know, this guy Morgan and Daniel Mattern at a restaurant called Clark Lewis in Portland, Oregon, where I lived for seven years, cooked there. Amazing farm community, crazy talent pool. And, you know, Morgan had come out of Olibetto with Paul Bertoli. Paul Bertoli wrote a amazing cookbook that everyone should read if you love cooking and you love what this is supposed to be about. It's called Cooking by Hand. Anyway, um, bottom-up cooking is a big deal, and that is kind of really taking the flavors from from roasts and from braises and using that fond and really learning to utilize that, much like even with Thomas Keller and you get the triple reduction sauces. It's very much the same of kind of reducing these flavors to the appropriate point and then lifting that flavor back up into a larger sauce. My grandfather really loved doing this, and then I kind of fell in love with that technique, the idea of it, and so all kind of braised dishes and like autumn cooking those are the really the processes. Oh, so I this love. is your season. We're like in the beginning of your season. We are getting into the beginning of my favorite season to eat for sure. Yeah. Favorite root vegetable? Oh man, um, I think we're probably going to go have to go with parsnip. Mine too. Yeah, I love mean, a parsnip. Amazing. Yeah. Also because it looks um, it looks ambitious, but it's really not. 
And once it's cooked and you, I mean, purees with it, like adding cream to it, touch of butter to it, it becomes sweet and candy-like. Like they're It's my favorite, amazing. too. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You, I know that you went to school uh, in Portland and got your uh, education there. I went to school um, out there as well. Um, around 2002, 2003, all the menus would call out these vegetables are from these local farms or it's from this farmer's market. So they were doing farm-to-table before farm-to-table was a thing. So by the time it became big, uh, when I was in New York, I thought, oh, they've already been doing this in Oregon. How did that influence you or how did that begin to shape where you did your, as you said, ingredients up type cooking? I mean, that, that's literally what made me fall in love with it. You know, being from Texas, like we have, we have product, we have good beef, we have a few things, right? Mm-hmm. Moving to Portland, Oregon, a lot in the way of like wanting to go to culinary school there as well as work just in farmland. And I was young, you know, hadn't traveled that much, knew that, knew that they got a lot of great product and it made sense throughout, you know, now my career and just life and kind of traveling and going to great places for food, you realize that the best food always comes from farmland because they have abundant product. And when you have abundant product, you, you utilize it, you cook it, you do things with it. Then generally you have the best cooks because they're in the practice of it and they have the best product and then you get the best food. So a lot of that going to Portland and just seeing that and then beginning to understand it. And it's not really, it's not the total ethos, right, of just put this on the plate because it's good enough. But it is the ethos of everything that we do. If you're a phenomenal shopper as a chef, you are a phenomenal cook. And that is just, that's not entirely true, but to be a phenomenal (laughs) cook, you have to be a phenomenal shopper. Um, You've got to start with great product. And we have an abundance of it in Southern California, Portland, Oregon. It was just the only thing they knew, you know, much Mm -hmm. like the Basque region in Northern Spain, uh, kind of Burgundy Valley, like a lot of these places we we took product that was seasonal and we tasted the product it was amazing and so we utilized it and learning to see that and being that what drives the creativity that's what drives the menu that's what drives kind of my desire to learn to do different things with you know the same product is that if you start with great product like you're going to end you know, with an amazing product, and that drives the creativity. With great product comes great responsibility. <laughs> this is also true. You need to put in a bit of time for it. Yeah. Uh, so, from moving from Portland uh, down to to Venice, uh, 2009, AK Abbott Kinney. How'd you get the name? Uh, <laughs> this is just a joke. Um, from going from just kind of a small handwritten menu to AK and evolving it into what became uh, the Tasting Kitchen. How did that process begin, and what was the evolution? What was the time frame? of taking it from the first iteration to what everyone knows now. Man, you know, it it started with a Craigslist ad and me wanting to, you know, move out of Portland. It was kind of the bottom of, or whatever, the start of the recession. I was like, huh, I want to cook in California at some point. Maybe this is the right time. Uh, did a couple of stages in San Francisco, Napa, and then met, you know, this guy, Bruce. And he had a space called AK. He was like, it's, you know, I, I kind of want to change it, so on and so forth. Showed up and then... They did maybe three weeks of services. I cooked a tasting. He was like, let's, let's get you back down here as soon as possible. And we really shut it down for a week, reopened it as a tasting kitchen, complete ad hoc, a few kids coming down. This kid, Maxwell Lear, amazing wine guy, and just super creative as well through the whole process of opening something that really, really kind of got handed to us at a young age. We were like, oh, my God, you know, we believe in what we've been doing. We believe in the quality of work that we all do. Being here in Portland, I think that this is going to translate really well. Bruce giving us just 
you know, just kind of giving us a space and saying, you know, put this together. And we, we opened the tasting kitchen on day one, you know, AK had closed down. We reopened it, gave birth to it, did no design, did no, you know, PR, did nothing. We just started cooking and loved the farm, loved the local farmers there. Abbott Kinney's a, a very, very fun street, you know, now. It was kind of coming up at that point. Yeah, talk about the evolution of the street. I mean, even four years ago, it's so different from what it is today. So different, yeah. I mean, it is It is still a shoreline crip neighborhood, all of Venice, you know. This is what it was 10 years ago. It was definitely a bit of, a, bit of a dodgy place. There were a few very, very good restaurants on it. And then, you know, this restaurant, Jolina, opened with this kid, Travis Led, who's a great kind of California cook, amazing restaurant. We opened eight months later. The street kind of started turning a corner, started becoming more of a destination for people, not only for shopping, but now for restaurants, now for bars, now for going out. And it's just really continued to evolve into now, you know, what everyone is like, oh, well, now it's too much, now it's too big. But at the end of the day, it was all us working really hard trying to do something right, you know, that hopefully cultivates that. So... You can't be too mad about it. And uh, R.I.P. Ajay, which was one of my favorites and one on the, the tasting as well, which has been there for a long time, too. Yep. Uh, after that, there were a couple other restaurants, the Parish and uh, Itri, that kind of started and stopped or didn't start at all. Uh, what were lessons that you took from those concepts that got you ready for your newest opening? Oh, man, you learn so much through things that are difficult than you do through things that are easy, right? Um there, there was a lot. There's always a lot to learn, especially when you're young, trying to figure it out. There's leases. There's permitting. There are just, there are tasks that have to get done. And that can be such a challenge in opening a space, you know. Um, Parish was a great restaurant. Lovely people. Like, amazing, amazing product came out of it for a while. You have to, you have to be ready for a neighborhood. And, you know, we... Maybe a little bit early, maybe a little bit off, whichever it was. It was it was really good. We bought the building, we made some decent decisions and kind of decided to move on to a couple of other projects. But you know, Eatree, I would have loved to have done that restaurant. I still would love to have that place. It was just there was so much permitting, so much build out that was gonna delay us a year and we just couldn't really get it accomplished. So, you know, took a lot of just learning to set it up properly, learning to kinda really iron out all the dots and all the crosses of the T's before you kinda start and then Met a couple of guys who were super cool guys, really became fast friends. They lived out here. We started working on, you know, a couple of projects together, trying to put something together, and we came up with this amazing space in Greenwich Village. And they they really helped, you know, put a lot of, just take a lot of the load off of one person. Mm. And we've, yeah, kind of had a harmonious relationship. Found Casa Peachy, started finding more people, you know. We found the executive chef, Adam Nadell. Fantastic cook, came out of a voce, worked with Missy, um, worked at Lincoln with Jonathan Bino right before he came to us, and he's he's just a great kid. We see kind of Italian cooking, and we see those processes very similarly. We both love product, and I love his passion for what he does. So it was a great time to be able to kind of really partner with someone and start to collaborate on being able to spread the wings a little bit. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick musical break and talk about the new Endeavor and more about the team that you put together for it. This is a track from one of our favorites, We Are Scientists, from the first Snacky Tunes live comp one called Nice Guys, and we will be right back on Snacky Tunes. Cheers. Like you want them 
walk up the residual pain and forget how you got it. If nice gets finished last the way, well, that's just your problem. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you want this, I want it more. If you want this, I want it more. If you want this, I want it more than you. I want it more than you. It's fine to say this isn't a game. back so we've seen a lot of chefs historically go west they open up east and they go out west and tom Colicchio and uh jeffrey uh, zacharian you're coming east which is not normally nice to uh out of towners so i know that you learned the lesson you met your team but maybe you can delve in a little bit more into your decision to come here and why new york was the best next step for the pro- for your projects yeah. I mean, I think it really all comes down to what you're passionate about doing at the end of the day. You know, like we we do what we do. We hope that people love it, you know, whether or not it's difficult, not difficult, whatever it is. At the end of the day, like we love product. We love food. We love the farming community that is here. And we love this location. And we thought that, you know, like this is this is something we in our life, which is short, don't want to kind of miss doing. And we uh, we met some great people and all of us kind of just started to click. So it started to kind of take care of itself to an extent. You already talked about your executive chef, but the rest of your team is equally impressive. How did you meet? How did you come together? (laughs) Great people beget great people. You know, like that is a lot of it when when you really are driven by what you do, you're not kind of in it for, I don't know, for the, you know, 
kissing babies and rubbing elbows. You, <laughs> you really just love what you do. You tend to draw in other people who love what they do. And sometimes those people are, you know, quite great. You know, we have Fabio. Fabio is running our bar program upstairs at, you know, this little bar Fortuna and downstairs in the restaurant as well. You know, Patrick Cormier coming from La Conda Verde and the Dutch and Per Se and uh, Juan coming to us from Maldo Sam. Like, it's just, it's great people. It's great personalities. And they could tell that what we really care about doing is just putting out a great restaurant. So let's start there. Let's all just be passionate about each of the processes that we bring. And then we'll kind of see, you know, what we have after that point. So, What's interesting is you have experience with both the chef and restaurateur, which sometimes is hard to strike the balance. How do you manage the team and how do you know when to edit and know when to just let your guys have the decision that they need to have to feel ownership? <sighs> It, it has to be belief. You have to have a lot of trust. You have to work together a lot. You know, you have to build that relationship to where we all are going to live here together. And then it definitely becomes, you know, like respectful moves. Once again, kind of beget respectful moves. And when you can, you can bring that together, everyone just gets focused on a common goal and doing things really well. And if they see that, you know... You're willing to go downstairs and like, yeah, dude, let's clean out this corner. I'm going to lift. I'm going to carry trash cans out. You know, everyone tends to tends to believe and they tend to get excited and they rally around that a bit. So it's a lot of that. And then it's just it's trust. You know, it's like doing things with people and you know that you love what they do as well. That's why you put your money into it. You put your time into it and you try to put, you know, whatever, whatever you built in your following behind it. And have you gotten on the line in the new restaurant? Oh, of course. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And what is one of your prouder moments of finding that true balance between chef, restaurateur with your new team? I mean, I think it's just literally the, it's everything that you can imagine it is, right? It's the having to, having to be on top of it so that you're never, you're never behind. You're never having to ask questions that you should know the answer to, you know? And I think that that is what we just try to breed down throughout the entirety of the ranks always is just love what we do and we're going to have the answers to all of our questions and then once again you know when people kind of see that like you care so much that you're you're involved in all of these processes and you care about the way that we feel and how how long we want to do this and you know you care about our life and our lifestyle and our progression as well like to me that's realistically what we try to breed throughout everyone and let's talk about the food yeah. because it is pan italian and also pulls from your northwest and california roots how are you mixing it all together, and what are the maybe one or two signature dishes that really calls out what the perfect balance of all of your past history and food memories? I mean, I think, I think structure is kind of what is really the basis of the cooking. You know, a foundation that kind of... I love pasta. I love the study oh, of we pasta. Know. <laughs> I love the craft of it, you know. I love the fact that, like, each noodle can carry different ingredients and different, you know, viscosities of sauce from ragouts to braises to very, very light, kind of simple olive oil dressings. And, and kind of letting that letting that kind of breathe with the local product is where the style, you know, or the kind of the creativity comes from. It's really, what do we have right now? What are all of the variations? How can we take a parsnip? And how many things can we do with a parsnip? And then really, you know, you curate the best product that you can possibly find. And we use like a foundation of Italy. I maybe, you know, I love a little bit of French cooking. So I love a few, you know, their kind of refinement touches maybe, or just the richness in the cooking. 
placing that in when I feel like it adds luxury and it kind of adds a complexity to the dish, but really just really following the seasons. And I think that whether you're in the Northwest, the East Coast, the Basque region, you know, Southern Italy, this is realistically what everyone's doing with food. The foundation is that in, you know, the kind of technical aspects of Italian cooking, but it naturally kind of falls in line. And having cooked in the Northwest and in California and now in New York, is there something that they would say sets New York apart, an ingredient or a certain type of product that is unique into the city itself? Um, European Italian import goods are a game changer for people from the West Coast. There is so much access to some really wonderful Italian products out here, which the same on the West Coast, you know, there's a lot of kind of Asian fusion, especially in some like seafood restaurants. And that's because we have amazing, you know, imports from Japan and from Korea. So you see the, you just see the difference in, you know, what country you're closer to. And (laughs) there are some really, really great importers out here on the East Coast. Any you want to call out? I mean, they're they're all kind of the, they're all kind of the larger ones, you know, like we work with Baldor for the imports, you know, we work um, with the the guys at the Chelsea market. I cannot remember the name of them, uh, a little bit smaller, but yeah, it's really just, it's just the difference in the fennel pollens, you know, Mm. it's that they have three to four different selections of fennel pollen on the West Coast. We might get two (laughs) and those may have been the ones that, you know, they didn't buy up on the East Coast before we got them. So there's that's a, a it's like oh it's like hmm, I would love A and C, but you only have B and D on the West Coast, and it's just a plethora of cornucopia exactly. out here. It really is, yeah. And I know that chef and owners like you don't stop moving. So what is on the future? I heard there's expansions in downtown LA. You know, I'm working to kind of curate and you know work with another with another guy who's been working with me for a long time. You know, uh, this kid Josh Hurley. He's been the CDC at the Tasting Kitchen for four years he's been there six years you know we've been open eight um and it's really kind of his time to take on a kitchen you know so we are working with a hotel down there and working with josh and kind of curating a little a little restaurant together any sense of what the cuisine will be it's going to be a little bit more of kind of southern french kind of northern spanish cooking um but yeah long way to go before that still got well, Casey, I want to thank you for coming by. Um, where can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they eat at your restaurants? Oh, man. Uh, the Tasting Kitchen, Venice, California. Please come by. Um, Casa Pichi in Greenwich Village on 6th Avenue, West 9th. You know, we'd be so excited. We hope the hospitality, the food, and just your experience reflects, like, all the passion that went into them. Thanks for joining us. Uh, up next, we have uh, Acid Dad live in studio, but we're going to play a track from Blood Orange, who played an incredible incredible homecoming set at terminal five last night this was from the early early days uh when it was just demos and a dream this is blood orange live on snacky tunes Tasty trees, your quilt for incomplete. Love will stay in bed. Ambivalence, your head. Distance into brief. This mongrel lost his keys. Owner set me free. So the ocean cleans my feet 
please, this can't be true. Oh, don't be my undone. Mother sure will cry when she sees our spark has died. Chapel on the hill, the freeway on to Chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State. Certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. Welcome back. We have Acid Dad live in studio. Welcome, boys. Howdy. You want to go around the room and introduce yourselves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by names. <laughs> uh, my name is Sean. I play bass. Hello. My name is Sean. I play the bass guitar. What's up, I'm Vaughn. I play uh, the actual guitar, <laughs> and a, uh, I sing. Me llamo Gomez, and I play guitar. I'm Kevin, and I play drums. So you guys got the number three hardest working band in 2015. Uh, number one was Pill, who was on a, a few weeks ago. 
How did you decide to play so many shows in New York City when some bands feel that uh, restraint is the better way to go? I don't know. We don't fuck around. Uh, actually, well, it's actually, it's really Kevin. Kevin, Kevin Walker does. Uh, he's a big promoter. I'm a promoter. I just threw yeah. us on all like the good bills and like cheated, and so we didn't ever open the show. Because music's music is fun, right? What yeah. else would we play? That right? too. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're sick of doing that. We're oh really? Yeah, we're, we're, we're chilling. We're like we're like writing every day instead of playing a show every day. It's like we're getting better at playing music, and uh, yeah. it's amazing. What kind of lessons do you feel that you learned from playing that many shows? In the year, from both yourself and from that the other something bands. is always going to go wrong, and be prepared for it, <laughs> including your school education. That 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 was a wrong. direct side effect of playing that many shows. <laughs> uh, and favorite venue to play in New York, or the one that was most receptive? Uh, babies, babies, Saint Vitus. Yeah. I love babies. Yeah. Shout out to Billy. Billy Jones. Billy Jones. Billy Jones. Yeah. Shout out to Ben Brock Wilkes too. Yeah. A uh, Billy who was who's been on here in the past. So how did you guys meet and come together? Danny was a waiter at this restaurant. Which at, restaurant? Uh, Testa. And uh, basically, me and Vaughn were already friends. And we had a mutual friend who brought us to the restaurant. And Danny was serving us, uh, what were the drinks called? Uh, some nice limoncello. Limoncello. Oh, oh. yeah. And uh, he was like blasting, uh, like, uh, like, I, it was, BJM. Like, BJM and it was a lot of good shit. And we were just, like, when the restaurant closed, we just stayed there and, like, we're smoking cigarettes and drinking limoncello. And then, yeah. Taking a little too much of an edge of the place, but <laughs> and uh, we found Sean on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sean was a was a good friend of ours, and we went through actually a lot of bass players that year. We playing so many shows, yeah, it was a lot of work. It really keep up, you couldn't keep. Yeah. Lucky couldn't, number seven, right? Yeah, no, number six. six. Lucky number six. six. Uh, they couldn't hang, so which is like a trial a trial period. Um, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, some were better than others. Um, I miss a couple of them. <laughs> Juju. I don't miss some of them, but hey, it's, it, that's the, that's the like one, game. two, and three. You know who you're talking about. <laughs> Four or five. Go I'm fuck not going to go into that detail. <laughs> yeah, but I will say, if Julian, you're, if you're listening, I, I miss you, bro. I miss you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we hear a song? Yeah. yeah what are you guys going to play first? This is a, a first song off our first EP called uh, "Don't Get Taken." They're coming, they're coming everywhere 
Your debut EP, Let's Plan a Robbery, is described as bipolar. <laughs> Why is that? I think it's the nature of the song. It's just the nature of the songs themselves. Um, you know, I really we have such a every member of this band like really brings something special, and it's a different taste. And so we we're we're still doing this today. We're just figuring out. What really works best, you know, and especially making a record, you have balancing all these different sounds, all these different influences that we have. And so the EP was like literally the four songs that we thought were best, but the nature of those four songs is that they're all a little bit different. And so there's this punk element, and there's this psych element. Your influences, uh, you can hear them as uh, Brian Jonestown's Massacre and, and Lou Reed. Lou Reed obviously being of New York mindset, how does that weave into your writing process and to the topics you go after in your songs? Um, I'd say someone like Lou Reed kind of teaches us to, like, you know, do more with less and kind of, you know, also put some truth into, like, lyrics and things like that. I think, you know, it's our responsibility to kind of talk about things that are real and not, you know, fairy tale land that we don't live in, so. What's a good example of a, a real lyric? I mean, you know, just anything from, you know, getting taken to you know yeah. that first song is just i mean all, 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 i'm from the south i'm from Nashville, tennessee and there's i grew up with just the the songwriting element and song it's not songwriting the storytelling element in songwriting and uh you know they're just kind of like fictional worlds and like fictional situations that i think that are fascinating to me and it's like the, the best way for me to describe them is through a song yeah for yeah. example like that the last song on the ep shoot you down is just basically about a song caught his woman cheating on him 
I mean, it goes back to an old blues tradition, but, you know, it's something real and happens, you know. Fiction, Mon's more like those, those storytelling. Yeah, I mean, most Terry, of my songs Terry, are totally. Yeah, like Terry, your sister, sister's kind of like Louis Street. Like. Yeah, sister's about these, you know, um, kind of drag queens that we used to hang out with in, uh, at this bar called Don Pedro's. Yeah, um, no, totally. That was a block from Tessa. That's what we'd do after we leave the restaurant. We go to this. After a nice night of limoncello, you went yeah, up to Don yeah. Pedro. There was like this yeah, thing called um, bath salts every Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went for like ten years. It just ended like about a year ago. Yeah. But that's where we. would be a lot of like, like friends, like boot blacks, like those guys. Yeah. would always be there. Hanging yeah, out I like my lot. goth friends. Yeah. And then we'd be screwed like in class on Tuesday. <laughs> Where'd you guys go to school? Or, or do you uh, still go to school? I dropped out of NYU. <laughs> I dropped out of the new school. <laughs> <laughs> I just started back at NYU. And I graduated. Yeah! Last yeah. yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. And so, so moving good. on from the EP, and you know you're working on the uh, your debut LP. Has anything changed or evolved as you guys have been together longer? Um, things that you refined, things you're doing, uh, you know, you know, more with less. We have Sean now. Yeah, uh, he's gotten com- more comfortable with like yeah. number six. Sean, writing, Sean's been writing a lot of songs, writing. and we're actually about to play one of his songs right now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that's been changing right now is is. Uh, Getting Sean up on the vocal mic. It's Even Kevin said he wrote a song this weekend. Yeah, Kevin's so. writing songs yeah. too. You know, it's like you can have yeah. four songwriters or only like one or two, but like if you can have more, you're gonna be a better yeah. band. It's sounds like a real band band. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. been like a songwriting like fiasco the past <laughs> couple months. It's, it's like how many songs can we fucking write? Yeah, you know? And then what do you think? Even though you're still in it, what do you think the refinement process will be to narrow it down to the final LP? Label shit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. We'll know which songs are the best, and the best songs will be on the album. What side of the bed we wake up on? Uh, all right, well, that's it. well, Kevin, let's hear your song. <laughs> who, who we wake up on? Right. Yeah. Let's get you up on that microphone. Yeah. yeah. Ukrainian or Polish? Oh, gosh. <laughs> all right, this is a song called Dissing.
know me I know you There is nothing Left to prove You're like a crouton Reaching for The higher shell There is nothing Left here to see No one needs Any of us but you still think that Everyone Wants a cut Ah, honey That door Has been shut One of the things that was a result of being the hardest working, third hardest working band in 2015 is the live shows. What can people expect from an Acid Dad live show performance? Uh, a lot of mosh pits these days <laughs> for like similar but all, lately like the last few shows we've been playing like out of like a ten song set we're doing like six or seven new ones so we're way more like stoic. Just like, <laughs> hey, let's try yeah. get this. But uh, I mean, we play like an old tune that people know. It's like party vibes. But nowadays it's like a lot of um, it's a lot of new stuff. We're trying to like so much new stuff. Like yeah, like every show, every show it's like what new songs you're gonna see, like try out and like how let's you know, watch the crowd and see how they react to that and get feedback from our friends and stuff. It's a lot of trial and error. 
And as you put in the new material, what are you looking for? Is it more your own internal reactions and how it sounds to you, looking to how the crowd reacts, or what are you trying to pick up from the new songs? I'm trying to find holes in the songs, you know? Like, when we play it live, it, there's this type of, like, focus and awareness you have, and you realize, like, a flaw in the song, usually. And, like, after we play it, like, oh, that third pre-chorus is weird. Like, we should cut that out. Stuff like that. It's like a little technical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> better tunes. Better yeah. tunes. Yeah, yeah, just like, literally just yeah. working on the song and trying better to become a like, better songwriter. Just trying really to put something cool. out that's better than what came before, and then on to the next one, do better than the one that came before that. Stuff that people listen to. Hmm. Uh, and you have a tour coming up uh, later this year, right? I think we're going to do uh, yeah, like December, like a little college tour run, just to keep trying some new shit out. I think that's the plan. Uh, which colleges are you hitting? Well, just like anything within like 300 miles of here. Like, uh, like we're working on it right <laughs> Yeah, it's a tour work in progress. Philly, Rhode Island, shit like that. SUNY Purchase. SUNY Purchase. We'll kind of find out tomorrow, actually. Yeah. What's going to work and what's not going to work for the tour. I threw out a bunch of lines and we'll see what catches. But we have a lot of friends like across across the Northeast that are helping out, so that's cool. I mean, the EP was self-released, you're the promoter, and what type of uh, strength do you feel having everything kind of doing it yourself and uh, doing it all in-house? That, that has a lot of disadvantages, too. I try, I'm, I really just like want to be drummer now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have like a manager and agent now, they do all that shit. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and do you feel like that just allows you to focus more on the band and yeah. allows you to do more songwriting? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood pressure's mean, better. <laughs> but Kevin doesn't have to be at a show every night. You know, he could be at home with me and yeah. Sean working on new stuff definitely is yeah, good for the band. So you were out it hustling? It was just like more of a desperate thing we had to do to start on our own and I, everyone just assumed the roles but but now like what the fuck is that? I don't know what the fuck is. Now with like uh Welcome to space. Oh my god. It's not the amp. Is that your amp guys? Uh, yeah no I mean we like Vaughn records all our stuff too like it's not like we necessarily even want to. It's like we have our own skill sets, so we're gonna obviously use them. But as it's grown, we've you know luckily built a good team with you know like PR and agent and manager and stuff like that can assume these roles and like that's what they do full time. They're way better at us than us. I mean, even when it, when it comes to like making our record um, like really officially, like for a label and stuff, like we'll probably not do it in our own studio. Um, so it's cool. We like kicked the ball and got it rolling, and then hopefully like. As it goes up court, like even better people take that stuff over. And do you feel that you are better uh, or more adept to guide the people that come on because you did so much of yourselves and you set uh, a higher bar for bands that might just get a manager? What PR? people who come on? As you bring on your team members, like your PR person, oh. your agent manager. That since you did, I, it I think in any situation you yeah. have to be really smart and really aware of what's going on. If you have people working yeah. for you or you're working for other people, it's all about communication yeah. and what the goals are and how you set those goals. Yeah, I mean, one thing is like uh, we had our, the first person we brought on was like our agent, and it's true that like one good person attracts other good people. Like he helped us find like our PR, for example, which is cool. So. Yeah, Casey well, Lane said the same thing earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, well, and you have a show coming up in New York uh, with the OCs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. At Warsaw. 13th at Warsaw. Oh, perfect. Sunday night. Oh, amazing. The oh. Bowery one sold out, so there's still tickets I think for this Warsaw one now. Don't overlook a good Warsaw gig. I'm excited. Yeah, that place excited. is awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's I've never super been. weird. I used to play in the best way possible. What's that? I used to play pool there, but I've never been into the 
It's it's awesome. I mean, it's, you can still get pierogies in like two dollar tall cans in, yeah. in the back during shows, which is probably like the best deal in town. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, um, uh, definitely run past those scenes when they're playing, like through the stage. <laughs> oh my god! Or just bring them like a nice like side plate of pierogies, like nice and hot yes. when they're like, hey guys, in between the last song and the encore, here's some pierogies to get the energy up. Uh, well, I want to thank you guys for coming on. We'll make sure we have time for one more song. Um, where can people find you? Get the EP. Check out the college tour. EP is just like on every pub. Yeah, if you just really Google us, you'll find it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just ask the dad. I'll even type in band. 21st century. You know what to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Well, thanks uh, to to Casey Lane for coming on. And if you like the show, please make sure to check out our archives. All of our our episodes are podcasted. Uh, We will be back next week with a new episode of Snacky Tunes. What are you going to take us out with? Uh, This next song is called Grass. Great. Well, thanks for coming by, and we'll see you next week. All right, so this song's about falling in love with your drug dealer. For miles, I've been walking for days. Looking for that lady that would only a man. She stands real tall in a long black dress. She's a real cool lady who sells that grass.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.